0: I'm going to back up our reading one verse from what's listed in your bulletin, so we'll be beginning with verse 10. A reading from the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning with verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, therefore, Remember that formerly you who are called Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. In Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How many of you have had cats before? Just out of curiosity. How many of you still have cats? How many of you have more than one cat? Two. (laughs) I have two as well. Cats are interesting animals, right? You can't really say that cats are joyful. Cats just kind of keep you around because you feed them and clean the litter box. And you get to pet them once in a while and they make you happy. So the joke that I'm about to tell you or the illustration I'm about to use I in no way want to suggest that you should go home and tie your cats together, okay? Y'all with me? That's cruel. But I want to use it to talk about unity for a minute. Because listen, you could take two cats and tie them together at the tail with a string about this long, right? And you could say they were unified. They can't get apart. You tied a nice knot. They can't get away from each other. They got to be together the rest of the day. And you know, for a little while they'll be okay, but you can add something to that. You can pick those cats up. How many of y'all remember what a clothesline is? Y'all with me? You used to have a line in the backyard, went from one pole to another, and you could clip your clothes to it. Now you can start to get those cats to behave pretty well together. As long as they knew who each other's place was and there was separation between them. Even though you've tied their tails together, they could learn to live in a little bit of peace because of their separation. Y'all with me? Now what's going to happen if you take them cats and drop them over that clothesline? Something like... Right? That's what it'll sound like. If you hang them over a clothesline where they get in each other's space, what's going to happen? They're going to fight. We know something like that has happened at our house when we walk into the living room after we've been away and there's all these big piles of yellow fur in the floor. The Jews and the Gentiles in Jesus' day were like two cats tied together. They were living in the same place. They had the unity of having to share life together, but they were separated from each other. The Jews had been chosen by God to be a priestly people to the world. And they had taken that to somehow mean that they were better than everybody else. And so they looked down on the Gentiles. They called them dogs. They separated them from their daily life. And do you know, they couldn't go as far in the temple as the Jews could go. There was a wall in the temple that separated the court of women and Gentiles from the court of the Jews. They could not pass that wall. The wall had an inscription on it and said, If you are a Gentile, you cannot pass this wall. If you do, you are responsible for your own death. That's pretty serious, isn't it? So they were a lot like two cats that are tied together at the tail, learning to live with each other, learning to get along, but all of a sudden they found themselves hung over a clothesline. And the clothesline's name is Jesus. So I found this little joke about modern relationships between Jewish people and Christians and it goes like this. A Jewish lawyer was troubled by the way his son had turned out. And he went to see his rabbi about it. I brought him up in the faith. Gave him a very expensive bar mitzvah. Cost me a fortune to educate him. Then he tells me last week he has decided to be a Christian. Rabbi. Where did I go wrong? Funny you should come to me, said the rabbi. Like you, I too brought my boy up in the faith, put him through university, cost me a fortune. Then one day he too comes and tells me he's decided to become a Christian. What did you do, asked the lawyer. I turned to God for the answer, replied the rabbi. And what did he say? God said, Funny you should come to me. You're supposed to laugh now. Somehow in the backs of our minds, we have forgotten that Jesus was Jewish. And it probably has to do for most of us, the pictures that hung in our churches were tanned Jesus that looked like he was from Southern California, right? Long blonde hair, nice goatees, all tanned up, little beard, blonde hair, blue eyes. Remember those pictures? There was one here we got rid of not too long ago. It was that water spots on it. Y'all remember that picture? It was hanging here somewhere. And the church I grew up in, right over the back of the church as you walked out, was a picture of Jesus kneeling at the rock, and He looked like a white guy. We've forgotten that Jesus was Jewish. We've forgotten that Jesus practiced the Hebrew faith. That Jesus was not a Christian. That's easy to forget. Because now all of a sudden we want to think that we're the chosen ones and the Jewish people are left out. And still there's this weird little wall of division. Paul's writing about that wall of division when he says that Jesus breaks down the walls of hostility. It's Jesus who is our peace. Paul is saying this because there are Gentiles coming into a Jewish church. The church as it began was Jewish. It was a sect of the Jewish faith. And all of a sudden, Gentiles started coming into it left and right. Because Peter and Paul had gone out and preached to the Gentiles. And there were churches popping up in places like Ephesus, which was primarily Gentile. And Gentiles were coming to the synagogues to worship with their Jewish brothers and sisters. And all of a sudden, it was like two cats hanging over a, over a clothesline. And there was fighting and squabbling. And Paul writes to them and says, Enough! There cannot be this in the church of Christ. There cannot be squabbling. There cannot be holding up of yourself as better than the other. This cannot be. There must be peace in the church of Christ. But Why? Why should there be peace in Christ's church? Why is it not okay for us to fight and squabble about everything and talk about each other and gossip about each other and talk about what each other wore, what each other said, the car we drive? Why is that not okay? Everybody else does it. A fellow named A.W. Tozer was talking about people being tuned to Christ. Christ. And he wrote this, I'm just going to read it to you. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same tuning fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to one another, standard to which each one must individually bow. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to one standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer relationship. Why should there be peace in the church? Because we are a group of people who are following the Prince of Peace. We are people who are being tuned to Christ in the same way that you take a tuning fork and bang it on something and hit middle C, right? Am I right? You hit middle C. Hit it for us. And if it sounds bad, the rest of the piano is going to sound bad because that's how you tune it. And if all of us are in tune with Christ, guess what there will be in the church? Peace! But if we're not in tune with Christ, if we put our ego above others, if we put our sense of right and wrong above others, if we put our desires above others, there will not be peace. There will be hostility. But here's the thing. If that hostility comes, we create it. It doesn't come from Jesus. Think about all the hostilities that are in the world today. Walls that people build up between themselves to say that they can't be with that person, they can't talk to that person, I'm not like that person. We must be separated from them. Somebody once said that good fences make good neighbors. That's not true. What good fences make are enemies. People that don't know each other and don't like each other and don't want to be for each other. That's what Paul was dealing with. People were coming into the church who didn't belong, people thought. You might remember that story where Peter was sent to Cornelius to preach to his family because Cornelius, a Roman, was praying to God. And before he was sent, Peter had a dream where a sheep came out of heaven that held all these unclean animals on it. And God said to Peter, he said, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And again, God said to Peter, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God told Peter, don't you call unclean what I have called clean. And that was God's way of saying to Peter that the Gentile people are no longer unclean, that they can come to Christ and be part of the covenant of life. Any of y'all have Jewish parents? Anybody got a Jewish mama? No? Y'all are all unclean. You're Gentiles. Paul says there was a time when you were far off from God. You were an atheist in the world, he says. You didn't have God. You didn't know God. And God was not part of a covenant with you. But now through Christ, you were included in all the covenants that God has made. Including the new covenant in the blood of Christ. And that because of that, Christ can be your peace and our peace and my peace together. And get this. Christ becomes the tuning fork for all of us. And if we will match the sound of our life to the sound of Jesus' life, there will not only be peace in the church, there will be peace in the world. But if we don't, if we go on living for ourselves and only caring about ourselves, our own opinions, our own political persuasives, our own ways of seeing the world, our own ideas about everything, we will not only be alone, we will be bitter, and we will be sources of conflict. And that sounds bad to me. So how do we get in tune with Christ? How can we step back for a moment and ask ourselves, hey, Am I really following Jesus? Or am I like a cat with a string on my tail and I don't really have anywhere else better to go? Honestly, it just takes sober reflection on our lives. Is everything in our life about us? Do we give anything to anyone else? Do we ever put another person's well-being above our own? Do we know our neighbor? Do we know our neighbor's hurts and pains? Do we know the needs of our community? Are we meeting those needs? Are we loving God and loving our neighbor? Are we loving others as Christ has loved us, which is how? Die for us. It's not a hard answer. The test to wonder whether we're really following Jesus or not is pretty simple. Does our life look like Jesus' life? Are people who are different from us welcome with us? You know, that's the thing that really marked Jesus in his world. He sat down at a table with someone who hated him. He broke bread with sinners. He drank wine with people that other people said were unclean and unworthy of being included. He let women touch Him. He spoke to them as if they were people. If there was a cultural norm of exclusion in Jesus' day, He broke it. If there was a way that pointed to somebody not being in the holy club, Jesus broke it. He healed a man on the Sabbath, though they told him he shouldn't have. How do we know if we're walking in the tune of Jesus? If our life is making the middle sea of Christ? My hunch is that if we'll think about it soberly and honestly, we know. We know how committed we really are. Or whether it's all just lip syncing. Y'all know what lip syncing is, right? Where somebody fakes like they're singing a song. Most of the artists that our teenagers listen to are doing that or they're singing through a computer that makes them sound good. Jesus doesn't want that from us. He wants us to sing His tune. It's a song of mercy and love. It's a song of radical inclusion, of welcoming the stranger. It's a song of carrying mercy to people that other people will refuse to be merciful to. Simply put, if there's hardness in our heart of any kind, we aren't quite yet tuned to Christ and there is work in us to be done. You can examine your own heart and God can examine your heart. And I would invite you to pray that God would. Because dear ones, Christ is our peace. Christ is the only hope the church has for peace and Christ is the only hope the world has for peace. It won't matter how many bombs our government makes. It won't matter how many planes they make. It won't matter how many meetings there are with foreign dignitaries. There will never, ever, ever, ever be peace on this earth until the whole world marches and walks to the tune of Christ. And we can pray for that. And we can consciously decide to be part of it. To stop being cats dangling over a clothesline. Stop talking about unity. And simply focus on following Jesus together. Putting Christ first in everything we do. He is our peace. If you have one piano... In a group of twelve, and it's not tuned. Is it going to sound good, Pam? It's not, is it? All we're going to hear is that one piano, right? And it will be louder than the others, but there's only one. It'll be the only one that's heard. That's why this is so important. The world watches us to see if it's true what Jesus said, that we will love one another and they'll know we're His disciples. Christ is our tuning fork. Tuning us to love God and love our neighbor. I invite you today to respond to that by committing to stop resisting. And let Him work in you. Make a conscious decision to throw away your grudges and your thoughts about who's good and who's not and who's okay and who's a good person and who deserves Christ's mercy and who deserves for the church to be merciful to them. And focus instead on remembering Christ's mercy to you and Christ's love for you because that is the song you're called to sing to others. We're going to sing a final hymn. It's actually Take My Life and Let It Be. It's number 399. Don't grab your book yet. But while we sing it, why not sing it as a prayer and invite Christ to take your life and make it His? To take your life and tune it to who He is, to how He thought, to how He loved. It's vital to our mission together to be a people who make disciples. Let's stand and sing. Hit hey, number three ninety-nine.